Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Reproductive justice is all the word after Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby introduced a bill walking back Utah's abortion clinic ban Thursday evening. More on that in our newscast. But reproductive autonomy is about so much more than abortion. And today we are having it. The incredibly sensitive, incredibly prevalent conversation among Salt Lakers of all ages. Should, could, and would we choose to raise a family in this city? It's Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Ashley Finley, you are a birth worker here in Salt Lake City. And I want to have a conversation with you that I think people our age in this city are having probably once a month with their partners or their friends, which is whether or not to have kids in Salt Lake City in the the year of our Lord, 2024. And I just want to acknowledge it's an incredibly sensitive and personal question. It can be a really painful topic for a lot of people to explore for a variety of reasons. But I think it's a conversation worth having kind of publicly, you and I. And so with that caveat that it's incredibly sensitive and personal, do you want babies? (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great caveat. (laughs) You know, Ali, it's such an interesting thing that I've been talking about with myself, with my therapist, with my friends. And it's kind of like I'm in this in between. Like, I really Mm. do feel the pull towards motherhood and towards having babies, Um, especially, you know, in my line of work. I'm constantly baby hungry, right? Mm. (laughs) But... On the flip side of that, the reality is that I don't know that bringing children into this world is something that I feel for myself personally, like I don't feel morally okay with that. Um, Mm. So it's a weird, it's a weird position to be in. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like in your line of work, bringing other people's babies into the world, it kind of satiates that baby hungriness or does it feed it? Because I'm always surprised when I meet people who are like elementary school teachers and are parents. I'm like, it's not enough. <laughs> right. You know what? It's both and because sometimes I'm like, I see these little humans and these beautiful little souls and I'm like, wow, what a journey and how precious you are. And and. Part of me wants to step into that, you know, but then on the other hand, yeah, I I mean, in a very like just shallow thing to say, right, is that I can't imagine coming home from a birth like tired and hungry and exhausted and then having someone like, hey, hi, mom, like, good morning. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, and having to then like feed someone else and make sure that yeah. they're okay. Right. Yeah, I just think like, you know, there's beauty in all of those complexities, but I feel that currently in my life, I maybe my place is to help usher and hold space for the lives that are coming to this realm and the lives that are already here in this this realm. I mean, whenever this topic comes up among friends or lovers, I think there are a litany of reasons that people have either. It feels like usually like in the roses and thorns of it all, there's a litany of reasons not to. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the one or two reasons to do it. But they're so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you described this like pull. I mean, it's it's literally innate, I think, for a lot of people. But not everyone, frankly. Like, I've had a lot of moments in my life where people have been like, man, are you just like seeing that baby and feeling the burn? And I'm like, not really. But I want to know what some of the factors are that you're working through in your mind. And I'm curious, thinking about what it's like to be a young person in Salt Lake City, like how many of them are related to place versus kind of like global or existential threats? I think I've chosen to be in Salt Lake City and I've chosen to kind of put down pretty deep roots here. And I mean, I'll be here for, you know until something else tells me I need to go somewhere else, right? Yeah. And so at the age that I am, I'm 34. And so, you know, the idea of having children is kind of kind of a sooner sooner than later idea, right? And I just there's so many factors in this place that I live in that I'm I just can't reconcile like having a child in a state that is we see what's happening in the legislature, right? And mm-hmm. I can't reconcile with bringing a baby into this world who can't even like breathe clean air, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, all of the things that we see. And so um, it is highly focused on local issues. And then the cherry on top is what's happening around the globe. It's just so much for a little person and a little soul to move through. It's interesting that you bring up air quality. Would you say environmental fear is your greatest? Yes, I would say that it is my greatest. I think that say tomorrow we decide to do something about air quality or we decide to do something about the Great Salt Lake, right? Like there's just so many factors that are still in motion that will continue to be in motion, I think, from the foreseeable future. And our kids and our babies are going to be impacted by that. And I think that's really unfair to them. Yeah. I think like when I think about this decision, so I'm 33. Mm-hmm. I'm a year younger than you. And we know that 35 is the age that's thrown around a lot as you know, if you have children after 35, it's considered a geriatric pregnancy, and that can increase a lot of symptoms and a lot of dangers. The reason I know that geriatric pregnancy is even a thing is because I get targeted Instagram ads <laughs> telling me that I should freeze my eggs or consider all of these factors. Like, I don't even think that word would be in my vernacular right. if it literally weren't for social media advertising telling mm-hmm. me that I have to make this decision tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot about like, listening to the voices in our community and like in this city and in this state who talk about what it's like to be in particular what it would be for me a mother Mm -hmm. 
And I I know this is really cynical, but 62% of working women are mothers with children under six. 62% of working Utah moms Mm -hmm. have children under six. And I just am like, you read study after study about our childcare crisis, the cost of healthcare. um, And I'm like, are they trying to tell us that it sucks? Mm. (laughs) Like, are they trying, like, (laughs) like, are they like, it's been interesting for me to talk to a lot of parents who kind of give this like sort of explanation of how meaningful and wonderful parenthood has been for them in so many ways. But there's always, there's always this undertone of like, and it's nearly impossible. Yeah. And it's not affordable. And it's frightening. Right. And it's like scary and distracting and not supported. And you're just like, that's a lot of caveats, guys. <laughs> That's a lot. And I'm right there with you, Allie. I'm right there with you because, yeah, I see very closely and intimately and frequently, right, the beauty that comes with parenthood. And I see, like, the caveats, right, the other side of the coin, which is that specifically in a place like Salt Lake City, Utah, We live in a place that isn't making it easy for parents to have healthy, functioning families, right? Mm. What do you mean by that? I mean that, you know, this is a place that's unfortunately not prioritizing, like, the needs of children, right? We don't even have, you know, a living wage, Right. Like at the very basis of it. Right. Like, can we afford to provide a home for our families and for our children? Mm. Right. And that's not something that largely folks in Salt Lake City and Utah are experiencing. Every time I talk to someone, it's about how, like, I don't even know how I'm going to afford to live. Then on top of there, that there's like food security issues. Right. There's mental mm. health resources and access to those. There's healthcare resources and access to those. And then you get to the larger issues that we're seeing right now that are affecting all of us, like anti-trans legislation and anti-DEI legislation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not easy. And I think I really want to focus in on that. This is me talking about my personal choice, right? It's not easy. And for me, it doesn't feel worth it, right? It doesn't feel Mm. worth it to answer that pull when having kids is hard enough. And then you add all of the other factors on top and you're somehow trying to keep your own sanity and your own security and like watch out for the sanity and security of this little one when it seems like it's an uphill battle. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. 
Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's Hot Cross Buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. I think another big question is like, is this city being built for families? Like mm. when I look 10 years into the future of Salt Lake City, we're about to close four elementary schools. We are building one bedroom apartments. Like we're not even building condos right. that like you could raise a family in and have, you know, and I think like thinking about like self-reliance and like, can your kid walk to school? Can your kid mm. walk to piano or basketball or whatever? Like all of the things that would make it seem really manageable or exciting to think about like raising something. I'm just like, it feels so inhibited in this city yeah. as it is. But I wanna talk, I mean, the thing about your experience that's so specific is that you support new parents in Salt Lake through giving birth and after. Like I know that sometimes you'll spend as many as a few years in a child's life. Mm -hmm as a doula and a birth worker. What do you hear from your new parents about why they wanted to have kids or why, or whether it's even something they always wanted? One of the things that seems to kind of, I experience or see or hear across the board with my families and with people who have chosen to have children and enter into parenthood is this idea of creating the world I guess, that they want to see in their home. You know, like you might go outside with your child and yes, the world is a scary place out there, right? But here in this home, this baby, this child is affirmed. This baby, this child is experiencing the healing of gentle and present parenting, right? And so I think that that's a really beautiful thing. It almost feels like, and this is such a, terrible thing to say because I, I personally from like the core of my being believe this should not be the case, but family planning is a privilege mm -hmm. in this city. And I'm so aware that even getting to make the decision and feeling empowered to make the decision is a privilege. Yes. And there are pressures in every kind of direction. And I think as much as there are people who really might want a family and that's not going to be in the cards for them. There are people who don't and are sick of answering questions about why it's not in the right. cards for them. And so it's such a difficult thing already. And then we layer onto it this moment mm -hmm. where we're seeing reproductive health care and access to reproductive, life-saving reproductive health care being slowly taken sort of out of our hands mm -hmm. and put into the power of legislative bodies. Um, I imagine that your work as a birth worker is deeply affected by that. And I'm curious, like, as you mentioned, the world is a scary place for babies right now. How are you and your colleagues thinking about, like, your role in all of this, which has got to be shifting? Right. You know what's so interesting is I think that the role of the birth worker, right, has always been honestly this kind of underground role where we 
we recognize that legislation, that laws, that politics, right, don't protect us. Like just historically, they don't, right? I think that one of the things that I talk about in my community of birth workers specifically is like this idea that we have a responsibility to one, speak out against injustice and speak out, really be really loud and forward about the injustices that we see. And then this work is beyond work, right? If you're someone like me, you believe deeply, deeply in a reproductive justice framework, which goes beyond choice, right? We're not talking about necessarily the choice to have an abortion or not, right? Which is, you know, it's kind of the focus a lot when we talk about reproductive care. Reproductive justice says that you can, people in a community can choose whether or not they want to have babies, right? But Mm. regardless of if they have babies or if they don't, they deserve to live in thriving supportive communities with access to the resources that they need. And then if they choose to have a family, that those families obviously deserve the same thing, right? And so my conversations, the work that we're starting to see, I think a lot more in the mainstream is is work centered around this idea of how do we bring these resources to these communities? How do we put ourselves to the issue and make sure that people are getting the access they need to whatever it is, like to transportation, to food security, to rent relief, to healthcare, to their appointments. You know, if they have babies, how are we going to make sure that these people can work and make sure that there's childcare available? So the conversation is extremely expansive. And it's also, I I will say, Allie, that like it's expansive and because it's so expansive, it's exhausting. Ah. (laughs) I have to be so honest, right? Because you're just trying to put yourself in a position to provide as much help as possible. And in the state of Utah, right, specifically birth workers, you know, we've we have a lot of babies here, right, in this state and like birth workers are just burnt out anyway but we're doing our best we're doing our best to make sure that we are in the community the way that our ancestors were it's interesting to hear you describe that like being even just adjacent to parenthood Mm -hmm. is exhausting (laughs) (laughs) i know that's me extracting like from my lens from what you just said but i'm like I love that. (laughs) It is. It is exhausting. It is beautifully exhausting. I want to say that I'm grateful um, for the opportunity to be in this work and in this space. But I will say that, like, if we really think about the idea that it takes a village. I mean, it's when we think about the village, like, it's so easy to find within that idea so many reasons to bring a child into this city I mean I love this city so much it's full of all my favorite people and places and as much as I love sharing it the idea of sharing it with I want to share with everyone whether that's my kid or someone else's kid right but then at the same time sometimes I look at the village and I'm like this isn't safe but I 
I have been following pretty closely like a lot of the hand-wringing that's been happening in Utah around declining marriage rates. And I Mm. think there's an obsession with that among Utah leadership. It feels like a new moral panic that we're kind of entering that people are getting married less. Mm -hmm. 25% of Americans over 40 have never been married. That's, you know, a dramatic increase from where we were in the 80s when it was like 6%. I mean, it's really incredible data. But I think that in Utah, the connection that's being made is like, you know, traditionally marriage leads to babies, low marriage rates means less kids, and therefore the decline of American (laughs) society. Like, I don't know. I mean, you work with clients who are exploring parenthood. Do you have clients that explore parenthood without a spouse? Like, are those things necessarily connected? Yeah. I do work with people who are exploring parenthood without a spouse. And I think that there is, there could be some connection there. I I love what you said about this, like, idea of a moral crisis, right? And how that feels like that's what the legislator is feeling like it or like the leadership. I don't know what we call them. The people, you know, feel like this is a moral crisis. But I, I guess I want to always keep pointing our attention to the fact that families look so different, right? I think, honestly, I'm always really intrigued and grateful to be in a space to support what we would consider non-traditional families. Because I think that, once again, it reminds us that there is not a monolith, right? That we as people are so different in every aspect. And sometimes I support people who are unpartnered by choice. And I support people who are unpartnered because it's the way that life has just kind of unfolded recently or not recently, right? And either way, I'm so grateful to be trusted to support the people who choose that they're like, they're going to make their decision regardless, right? This is a whole other, I guess, conversation for another day. But when we really start talking about what it means to get free, to be liberated, to stand in resistance, I think that this is one of the ways we do it. We make our decisions regardless of what tradition has told us. And on that note, I think there are so many opportunities in life to explore your legacy Mm. that are different from what tradition has told us. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, Allie. When you brought that up, it made me think like, oh, I guess like, I guess I was kind of one of those babies, right? Like I'm adopted, I was adopted by a much older woman. Um, Mommy adopted me when she was in her very late 40s after having been twice divorced and decided like motherhood was something that she always wanted. And regardless of if she had a husband, Hmm. she got it. Right. And I don't think I ever got the short end of the stick. Right. By being raised with just her in the home, I feel like I had such a dynamic and beautiful childhood. But then again, this is what I mean when I talk about the diversity of families, right? Like my mom was a single mom and it was just us in the house, but I had so many aunties and uncles in my community Mm -hmm. who loved me so deeply, right? And I think that that's possible for everybody. And so I would just say to those people, Look at me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Take that, Spencer Cox. It's funny. Take that, Spencer Cox. Similarly, I grew up with, and just in the household was me and my mom. And I, I think a lot about how, like, yeah, financially, like, just being one parent, not always, but sometimes it can be more of a burden. My mom had to make a lot more sacrifices. She couldn't like hire a babysitter as much or, you know, whatever else. But she one time told me that, I hope she doesn't get mad at me for saying this if she's listening, (laughs) that like looking back on raising a child, she's like, I kind of think there were some ways that are under discussed in the narrative Mm -hmm. around like whatever, single motherhood and, you know, it was the 90s. that like it was kind of easier sometimes. Like she's like, I was the sole decision maker. I did not yes. have to run every single thing by another person. Whether we were religious, didn't have to discuss it. Like whether right. you went to public or private school, didn't have to discuss it. Like the end of the day, we just were able to move quickly in life yes. because she was the sole decision maker. And I think about that a lot because I'm like, even... <laughs> This is a bad comparison, but like even in my own household where like I have a dog, I'm like, I do like that it's like you eat now because I <laughs> said so. <laughs> because this works for me, right? Yeah. Like, not a group decision. Not a group decision. No. Oh my gosh. I resonate with that so much. I wanna end with us maybe putting aside a little bit of our skepticism that we both have, Mm. I think a very healthy amount of, um, Mm -hmm. we've been through kind of the cons. Like, why should we be thinking about babies Mm. no matter where we're at? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ali, that's such a big question. Um, (laughs) I think I wanna be careful, right, around the language of should or should not, but What I do want to say is that, as we've talked about in so many different ways today together, that if you are in a position where you're choosing to have babies or to expand your family, I want you to know that that despite all of the chaos and calamity (laughs) in the city, in this legislature, and even in the globe, that there is a robust community that wants to love you and that wants to love your child. And even if some of the people in that community are choosing not to have their own children, that that just leaves more love for yours, right? You know, oftentimes as a doula, I become an auntie, right? And it is one of, Ali, I don't have children, right? But it is one of the greatest joys in my life to be with my friends' children, with my clients' children, to love on them and feel the love reciprocated. Um, And I feel so deeply connected to them. And I know that even if you have not had a doula, if you're not having a doula, that there will be ways and places and spaces and times that you can find community if you don't already have one that will rejoice in the same way about loving on you, about supporting you and about loving and supporting that child. And so that's what I want to say. I want to say, if you choose to have children, know that we got you. Ashley Finley, 
Salt Lake community activist and birth worker. Thank you for your time. And thanks for being so frank with me and with our listeners. Thank you so much, Ali. I always love talking with you and being on the podcast. (laughs) I appreciate you so much. I mentioned in the intro that Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby introduced a bill last Thursday evening that would walk back Utah's ban on abortions being provided anywhere but a hospital. Essentially, a clinic ban, because an example of one of those places is a Planned Parenthood clinic. Some of Representative Lisenby's greatest hits include telling Utah women they should control their intake of semen. So why walk back one of her crowning political achievements, banning abortion clinics? Well, the abortion clinic ban and Utah's total abortion trigger law are both tied up in court because healthcare providers and judges are questioning their constitutionality. What Representative Lisenby hopes is that removing the clinic ban from question will fast track a decision on the constitutionality of Utah's total abortion ban. What healthcare providers want you to know right now is that abortion remains legal and safe in Utah up to 18 weeks of pregnancy. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Take good care.